0: hello. Fantastic Blackness is a monthly podcast brought to you by me, Tavi Anyaro. And me, Shantae Paradigm Smalls. On our show, we explore all things Black and fantastic and talk about the art that moves us how and why.
1: Please listen and subscribe on your chosen platform and join the conversation on social media. You can find us on Instagram at Fantastic Blackness.
0: Welcome to episode five, The Fire This Time Pandemic Summer.
1: So, how have you or how have we (laughs) been dealing with or living through this, um, uh, not only the COVID-19 pandemic, but this racial pandemic, this anti-Black pandemic?
0: Yeah, this is, you know, it's funny, we um, were recording this probably less than a mile from each other, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. But because of the circumstances, both personal and, you know, city and nationwide, you know, we're pretty much more often in our apartments than anywhere else. Um, <laughs> and, you know, when I'm not in my apartment, at least for most of the month of June, it was... Um, to go to a demonstration <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um so um so there was that you know and that's something that I um I guess there was part of me that had expected things to set off the summer in a way I had that kind of feeling pretty early right. on in in winter but um I I could not have told you <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. turned out this way how about for you Oh,
1: so much, you know, I, the one thing to, you know, say, so we're recording this in late July, almost August. So we're about to encounter Black August and very interesting to see what's going to happen then. Um, but, um, you know, whenever I, I think about this question or I'm asked this question, I, I feel like, uh, you know, we have been living through a racial pandemic for, uh, you know, very, very long time. and and uh, uh, I think about all the um, uh, publicized deaths of Black people that have marked my life, you know? And so whether it was, um, or, or, or very violent meetings, so like Rodney King or um, Sandra Bland's death or Trayvon Martin or Amadou Diallo, or, you know, um, to the more recent, you know, Breonna Taylor and George Floyd and, you um, um, Tony McDade. So I, I, I think three things have been really coming up for me. One is a sort of, I've been really, honestly, Tavia, very baffled at, um, I mean, I guess being shut up in the house gave people time to realize that um, anti-Black racism and white supremacy was real. That, you know, Black people weren't just making it up. So I've been really baffled at sort of, like, white and They could non-black. study it. They could study it. Wow, I saw something on TV for eight minutes and 46, you know, so, so, you know, watching these, uh, uh, watching Black Death in real time, watching torture porn, death porn, snuff videos um, uh, made, uh, even though there have been many of these videos, you know, over, uh, and many visual, uh, uh, probably, you know, the most, maybe the most uh, one of the, that shaped my life or my childhood too was even though I was born many, many years after was the, um, you know Mamie Till's uh, decision to have an open casket for her son and Till and in the you know in the mid of mid last century. And so right. I've just been very confused about and baffled that, um, you know, because it uh, a friend of mine and I'm starting to see this term more. A friend of mine said, you know, it feels like racial gaslighting. Um, that you know, um, <laughs> wow. you know, yeah, that so for like white people or some non-black. Uh, people of color, it's not enough when we say these things. They have to see it with their own eyes and be hit in the right register. So that kind of bafflement. And then, um, you know, unmitigated rage, honestly. I just, um, rage that it's it's felt uh, uh, imprudent, let's say, to let out. Mm-hmm. Um, rage that could, you know, end my career, end my life. Um, and my, um, you know, whatever housing, all the ways that like white supremacy controls black bodies and black emotions, black affect, um, mm-hmm. um, um, you know. So the, uh, th- that that and also um, uh, really deep, deep exhaustion. And you know, I have been sleeping. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, there'll be times where it's like ten o'clock at night, and I'll all of a sudden like i just can't move from exhaustion you know and mm. i'll just fall asleep on my couch or i'll just like uh, i like to do certain things i have a virgo rising so at night i like to make sure everything is set up so the when i wake up but sometimes i'll just like stumble into bed and you know sleep very soundly and wake up i'll sleep eight hours and i'll wake up also exhausted and yeah. um and so just i think this deep exhaustion that comes with uh, all that's being churned up but also with I think when the pace slows down, when you know, COVID has really slowed so many things down, and I think I can actually make room for the deep, bone-deep exhaustion that I'm feeling. So those are the three, you know, main things that I've been really working with. Um, particularly since I came back to New York, it felt a little bit different when I was in Atlanta. I think a lot of my energy was focused on, you know, staying safe um, because people had different ideas of how to stay safe in the pandemic um, uh, the COVID pandemic and, um, and also this yearning to, to be home. Um, uh, so I felt when, once I got back home to Brooklyn, I felt, um, I could relax into some of these experiences.
0: I, yeah, I have been, uh, experiencing similar, uh, oscillation you know between despair Mm -hmm. rage and you know defeat slash exhaustion um yeah i i was telling myself you know like what do you do when rest isn't restful Mm. Mm. you know when you wake up tired that's like yes yes (laughs) (laughs) yes what do you do um so thinking that through and you know um i've been you know i've been in i've been in you know this is uh i've been in I've been in Brooklyn the whole summer and, um, I took, have taken on an administrative role, uh, you know, for my sins, as we say. Uh, but even, even, even if I hadn't, you know, I would still be astonished by the, by the kind of manufactured busyness of institutions, particularly my institution, but sort of all of these institutions, white institutions trying to micromanage all this despair, rage, and exhaustion, right? As if you could sort of fix what's happening by sending out 10,000 little emails (laughs) a day. (laughs) And, you know, there's someone I don't want to, like, call out by name, but just this past week, there was, not at my institution, thankfully, you know, another institution where, you you know, after having told the faculty and graduate students that they could make a choice as to whether to teach remotely, you know, for their own uh, health and safety and the safety of their students. They followed up with an email this week saying, well, when we said that, we didn't think so many of you were going to take us up on it. Uh, So could uh, you reconsider?
1: uh, (laughs) Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And this is a, this
0: is a, this is a, wealthy Ivy League institutions are doing this. So, you know, like other institutions with far less, um, you know, resources, right? Yeah. Are, are are kind of marching people back to the classroom, whether they like it or not. And so um, that's one thing, right? Is like doing what you can to kind of uh, be a human shield against the yeah, institution's right. worst, worst instincts, right? Um, but then also, you know, um, being in a place to maybe, you know, uh, do work, uh, both, uh, in the, at my school and in the profession, you know, in this weird window in which, you know, mm-hmm. white al- white allyship is a thing. Um, but also, you know, noticing as I'm sure you did as well, how quickly a kind of national conversation around how we could be white allies and, better anti-racists and what mutual aid turned into a conversation about cancel culture and like freedom of speech and you know for racists and fascists it was like really surreal to me how quickly uh people became so they were so clearly uncomfortable <laughs> you know it has yes. a national conversation as, as as um you know as limited as it was right i mean yeah. it's not that 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 conversation i mean as i recall like You know, white fragility was at the top of the bestseller list for like (laughs) a week or two, right? Yes. And so it wasn't as if it was that robust a conversation to begin with. But even that was too much of a threat to, you know, uh, white supremacy, I guess, that we had to immediately shift the conversation back to, you know... Well white uh, people take, mostly. <laughs>
1: the white people mostly and, <laughs> Billia- and billionaires know, to billionaires and millionaires and you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so that's 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 the exhaustion part. And I want to ask you more about Lama Rod's book. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, maybe I think maybe we can come up ask you about that later. Yeah.
1: Um, I, I appreciate uh, what you're saying, you know, about sorry about the institutions and you know um so, you know, maybe uh, the summers, for those of you who don't know, for academics, summers off in quotes are are is always a joke for <laughs> yeah. academics. I mean, I don't know about high school teachers. I even know. Actually, I used to be married to a uh, a woman who was an elementary school teacher, and it wasn't really summers off even for her at that level. But for um, many academics, people still teach during the summer. And it's also mm. where we are expected to get the mm. bulk of our research done in, in really three months or, or less and right. for some people like me i'm not a fast writer you know um so i'm i'm trying to finish a book mm-hmm. in the middle of covid and i mean the book is finished i'm trying to finish the final edits as my editor-in-chief knocks on the you know virtual window um but yeah. during a racial pandemic and a covet pandemic and i can say it's very difficult and so in mm. the summer These are things, you know, job requirements for us that we have to do this kind of work and also apply for grants. And also, um, you know, you and I are mentoring graduate students. Um, So, you know, it's not uh, uh, we're not necessarily teaching, but it's not off, even though, you know, the pace is slower. And, you know, I probably work, you know, in the summer, I probably work like 25 or 30 hours right during the week. Um, but it's turned now, I have a more than full-time job. I'm having union meetings. I'm having, um, mm-hmm. you know, Black faculty and staff circles to talk about how to deal with uh, structurally the racism of our institution, how to work with um, anti-Blackness that's not really coming from white people, but from non-Black POC who, who sometimes um, use anti-Black racism to forward their own agendas structurally. Um, I'm having meetings about, you know, with students, it's, it's never, and, and then the emails, you know, the emails, the emails, the emails, the emails about, yeah. uh, I'm in a, uh, four week, that's almost, thank goodness, ending, uh, class, we have to get certified to teach online. I mean, it's, you know, it's, so it's, so on top yeah. of, you know, I'm trying to, you know, finish a manuscript, uh, um, help graduate students, um, help recent graduates as they prepare for the job market, and, uh, you know, Finish an article and do my own research, you know. So, it's uh, capitalism sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? And these institutions, whether they're nonprofits or corporate institutions or government institutions or uh, or you know the uh, academic institutions, are kind of feel like they're all three. Um, they um, they're really. And this maybe goes to a later topic when we talk about performative allyship. They're really like, look, we did something. Look, you know, we nominated a, a third of the nominees for the Emmys are black. Or look, um, this billionaire gave a hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. Like that's like me giving a hundred dollars, you know. And we're supposed to then be quiet and calm and you know, real discussions about reparations, real discussions about transforming society and the root of our culture uh, get turned into painting black life, you know, black lives matter Boulevard, um, you know, um, oh, right. uh, yeah. you know, black lives matter on our, uh, you know, Netflix. Now, finally, though, I can, the algorithm is finally, I can find black shows on, on Netflix, but you know, this is, um, rather than like the real conversation about, you know, reparations, right. And about, um, what do you do when you built, uh, a whole economy on the backs of not just the enslaved, but continue to do that. Right. So um it's it's actually maddening. It boggles my mind. And I'm feeling the and I so, you know, these conversations are ones I just am refusing to have because they're not meaningful. Um and 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 well I'll save that for performative allyship.
0: So Yeah, it's coming up. I think choosing Mm -hmm. which conversations to be in and part of is absolutely, you know, reclaiming our time. My time. Yeah, Yeah, that's it. I'm reclaiming my time, right? (laughs) Speaking of which, you know, know, which spaces you want to invest your time in, um, I want to go back. You said we're recording in in late July, but I want to cast us back a month ago to uh, to pride or as it turned into queer liberation March this year uh, because that's a space, I don't know about you, but you know, corporate pride is not a space that I've typically Mm -hmm. given much, uh, you know, thought, (laughs) much less participation in uh, over the years. Um, Everything from the police presence to the corporate um, uh, presence. I mean, I understand that it's something that's, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't, I just have, it just sort of, you know, I will, um, I'd like to be excused, you know, but this year, (laughs) um, (laughs) uh, this year it was different because first pride in New York was canceled, uh, because of the pandemic. And then, uh, because of the George Floyd protests and Black Lives Matter, it was resurrected as a non-permitted March. Right. Uh, the Queer Liberation March for Black Lives Matter, right? Which yes. um, was, to me, you know, a really interesting intersection, uh, and maybe even a throwback to some of the better aspects of queer politics. How did it? Um, how yeah. did it intersect for you, and in, in, in the way you were uh, thinking or feeling about it at the time?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, um, unlike you, I was not really at the uh, protest, except for where they uh, came to my neighborhood, which they do. I live in a, um, I live in Flatbush. So um, uh, there's, uh, there there were a lot of protests. Um, No, no um, destruction of properties is a a black majority, a black diasporic neighborhood. Um, uh, So that really wasn't happening over here. Um, But I think there were a couple things around pride. One is that I love Pride Month, although I'm not. I you know just over the years I've stopped going to the Pride uh, March, the the Sunday March, just because of, um, uh you know just experiencing police violence and and witnessing police violence in those marches, and it's it's really terrible. they um, the police presence is not just a presence, but they actively. I've you know seen people knocked over their head, arrested right in the middle of the march, and so. Um, but the that the, happened this year too, by the way. Of course, right. But the explosion of gayness and queerness and transness that happens in New York City in the month of June, I love. All of a sudden, I just everywhere. You know, I'm seeing, and particularly my neighborhood, mm-hmm. which is actually a very queer and trans neighborhood, but people are. Um, uh, it's more muted. All of a sudden, it kind of explodes. So that feeling and the energy and the parties and the performances and the you know, the talks and the you know, the libraries and the museums all having the, that stuff. I love the cultural aspects, the mo- the outdoor movies. And so usually that's a very exuberant time to see friends. I call it gay Christmas. Um, and so it's not so much about, <laughs> it's not so much about like heritage or pride or, you know, pride yeah. Week events, but it's more about the energy and, um, mm-hmm. you know, just celebrating and remembering, you know, remembering, um, you know, Marsha P. Johnson, Sylvia Rivera, all the Black and Latinx, um, queer and trans people, and also people before. You know, um, thinking about all those 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 folks, and um, I was really quite stunned that actually it became sort of like Black queer trans liberation, and this this huge. I think you were at that the huge trans. Yeah, actually happened not too far from where both of us live. That that ended up at uh, Brooklyn Museum, and right, um, and so and a lot of that was happening. I'd be in the park, and there'd be a march, and so I was I was seeing all this happen, and I was just sort of stunned, um, and I was really pleased by the energy. And I was more doing stuff on the organizing side, and and uh, uh, you know behind the computer, so donating, having conversations with people, um, trying to signal boost organizations and individuals doing really good work, educating myself about who's doing what. Mm-hmm. And so and finally, being really pleased that, you know, after 100 plus years of black feminists being like <laughs> black and, you know, um, you know, br- talking about the, uh, the connection between these issues or the embodiment of these issues, that people were finally getting a sense that, um, you know, gay lesbian bisexual transgender queer same gender loving these are not white designates um mm-hmm. and so um wh- who are the most vulnerable right uh, inside of these the you know i mean kimberly crenshaw in 1991 told us about intersectionality which has to do with the vulnerability of black women you know to violence right because they're, already, they're not seen as Black women, but they're covered by the category of Black, supposedly, and covered by the category of woman, supposedly, but not as Black women. So I think for the same thing that, you know, a lot of people are like, well, trans people have this, or gay people have this, and but what about the Black trans person or the Black queer person or the Black queer trans person who's um, more vulnerable structurally, uh, although perhaps not individually? So I was really happy these conversations were happening um, um and a lot you know physically in terms of marches, but also in terms of they were reaching the ears of people I think who who didn't I don't know I guess I'm always surprised that the, the, um, at the bubbles that folks live in I guess because part of my life is about learning uh, all of my life is about learning and um, knowledge and know-how and uh, encountering new things and um, re uh, thinking you know, ideas that may be not um, grounded in reality. And a lot of people don't live like that. And so I guess people are just discovering that there are Black trans people. Oh my God,
0: yeah. You know, (laughs) so. And, 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 And some of those people who are discovering that are not having a good reaction. <laughs> so that's right. that's the, I don't that's think right. that's happening right now. But um, Can but I yeah, ask no, you it's, about the energy
1: it's... for you of being out there in the marches or what did you feel was I, mean, I know I saw some social media posts from you and talked to you about it, but what what was some of the in our socially distanced hangouts, what was some of the
0: what you were yeah. feeling? What... so I was, you know, um I I I I was Cautiously participating, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, I'm uh, a lady of a certain age, and so I have to <laughs> you know take take precautions. You know, I had to you know keep my distance and wear double masks and everything. But I wanted to. I did want to be out there. I found it, frankly, to be a kind of antidepressant, just to see young people. Yes. Yes. Um, I've been you know starved for performance, you know, and liveliness mm-hmm. this summer, you know. I'll never say a bad thing about liveness again. Me either. You and me both.
1: Okay, Philip Altazer. is there? I mean, Philip's name. I'll slander. I'll slander. Whatever. I- yeah. <laughs> L- whatever. Alts Other guy. I'll never say him. liveness. Yeah.
0: yes. <laughs> Go for it. Um, so, so being present in a large group, especially, I will say, you know, to have this like black and brown, trans and queer centered. Um, a. Uh, pride march that was Mm. at a small scale that was in the village at a time when there were still fewer you know cars and you know like it was still sort of i mean now it's almost kind of back to normal in manhattan when i Mm. uh, insofar as i'm there but like that was still like a month ago it still kind of felt like a a gap had opened out you know and um a temporary autonomous zone had been created. Mm. I will say that um, no tea, no shade, but a lot of the marches and demos that I've been going to have been predominantly white. And, right. you know, and one of the reasons that I personally started like, like stop making them a priority in terms of other things I had to do was I kind of felt like this is really, really good work. Like I'm glad that these young, you know, white people are educating themselves and are committed to like showing up day after day after day, you know, um, yeah. because there have been daily marches in, in New York uh, pretty yep. much. Uh, but in terms of like feeling that sense of a critical mass, right, of um, uh, of black people, um, what you, the, the, yeah, the black queer Christmas, as you put it, right? You know, I didn't <laughs> feel that so, I haven't been feeling that so much as the, you know, uh, but that kind of peaked for me, I think around about, uh, Pride weekend so um, yeah. Yeah. and I think it also it speaks to like, like the best thing about it is the intersectionality right in terms of mm-hmm. people as you said finally figuring this out that all our struggles are inter- are interconnected and that that involves work you know the 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 most frustrating the thing that kind of makes me sort of cynical and frustrating is the is the um, it's how is seeing how quickly and easily Black Trans Lives Matter can become a kind of slogan. Um yeah. and, uh, and specifically a slogan attached to Black death. Um, yes. Which, you know, uh, I'm thinking about the essay Riley Snorton and Jen Heritor Warren wrote, I think maybe a 10 years ago, about trans necropolitics, right? How, mm. how movements use Black trans death to sort of valorize mainstream okay. LGBT yeah. politics. Mm -hmm. Um, I just saw that over and over and over again. Sometimes in context where it was earned, where people were actually doing the work, you know, and were calling people's attention to projects like the Okra Project, calling attention to glitz, gays and lesbians in a trans society, like actually, you know, amplifying, but sometimes using it just as um, like virtue signaling, you know, just like Mm -hmm. to kind of check check a box, especially on social media, you know, and then it just became a little bit toxic, right? You know, it's, I suppose it's better than nothing, but it also feels a little patronizing almost even, right? To, you know, or, or actually, um, you know, um, not, you know, really valuing, trans and queer lives right in the way that we want to be valued (laughs) you know Um, so so that was the sort of the the other aspect of it um and um you know i i kind of i don't know if we have time to talk more about some of like the visibility politics around this too like disclosure which came out uh the documentary that came out uh from netflix at about the same time which was not entirely but was had a lot of of black and black and brown content in it um and um that also for me has a sort of mixed blessing to it on the one hand I'm like yeah who doesn't want better more complete representations in some ways that's the name of like my game you know I'm teaching Mm -hmm. you know how to like think and imagine you know how to you know I and mean, necessarily so consume, you know, representations, but how to engage, live with them, right? How to create, how to create your own, right? Yeah. So I'm all for that, right? At the same time, there is this like um, celebrity culture, you know, around, uh, you know, necessarily so, right? You know, or like a like a, a, a deferring of our aspirations to a certain kind of um, corporate media that um, I see people seeing, you know. There's like an opening right now <laughs> for, right. you know, uh, uh, for, you know, a very, very narrow band of mostly kind of, you know, the most uh, uh, normative people to kind of jump through, right? But that isn't necessarily going to do the work of transforming society, right? You know, yes. um, I I really, really love it. it's, it's It's such a hard point to get through because it sounds like you're kind of, going after people who have succeeded, which is really not the point. I love, like, Kianga Yamada-Taylor, who has gotten me through this summer more than any other, <laughs> else, more than any other writer. Uh, her most her most recent piece where she kind of talked through the kind of legacy of Kambahi River Collective, right? Which is one of mm. the collectives that I think, you know, in terms of intersectionality, right? And, like, their whole analysis, right? Which is grounded in Black feminist socialism, right? It's like, look, in order yep. to make these transformations, right? You know, we need more than just individual success however much we might want to glorify that right you know that's right uh individual success in a kind of white supremacist patriarchy right is not you know going you know I mean at some level that gives us Kanye West we don't have to go there
1: (laughs) well it's not let's no, no no (laughs) so let's take a quick break and we'll come back to continue this conversation
0: We're back uh talking about the uh racial pandemic summer and yeah. um i um where do you want to pick it up uh
1: i i was really loving what you were saying i just i guess i want to just say think a, a little bit more with you about um you know black trans lives i guess um picking up what you were saying about celebrity culture i you know thinking about things like uh, disclosure, which we don't have time to go into today, but I did watch it, and it, it did feel to me like, um, you know, Sam. Who, uh, uh, I'm forgetting Sam's last name, but uh, you know, I, I know who he is—a uh, white trans guy uh, in, in LA—and it, it did feel a little bit like, um, uh, what do you call it? The it felt like the trans celluloid closet. Oh yeah. Um, so so you know, I, I I think it's like important for what what it what it is in terms of just like having it be there um, and having it be. a uh, 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 part of a conversation, uh, and a, a part of a record. I, one of the things I actually found really interesting about it and most compelling was actually some of the archival footage and thinking about the long history of what, um, uh, uh gender and racial signaling do on film. Of course, you know, um, we know about like D.W. Griffith's racist agenda and, mm-hmm. uh, his, many of his films, but, um, thinking also about the way that, uh, uh, gender was also, gender, you know, um, crossing and gender um, disruption was also part of, um, um, you know, racial as well as other kinds of social politics. Um, but I do think that, you know, some of the uh, things that I've been thinking about is, as you were saying, I'm longing for uh, deeper conversations, um, longing for more um, challenging conversations where, you um, Uh, you know, first of all, trans folks uh, have a lot of varying different experiences. And I think that, like, you know, transsexual people have different experience than genderqueer people, than non-binary, than gender non-conforming people, than, you know, cross dressers and whoever, you know, falls under the trans umbrella. And I feel like those conversations are very difficult to have because, we live in such a binary world, even though people, oh, non-binary, but the binary thinking, either you're a, you know, you're a TERF or a gender critical feminist, or you're, you know, a trans ally and, uh, or a trans person, you know, allied. And I think there are really complicated things around gender, you know, first of all, and complicated things around the categories of woman and man, um, and that we those those categories are really tough, you know. First of all, right, and that there are people who aren't trans who already don't fit into those categories, namely black people, right? So right. I think I think those are some of the you know conversations that are deeply hard to have publicly because um, so much of public discourse is around signaling one's position rather than actual conversation. Right. And so I do think there are people in power who who say and do and produce um, discourse that actually is really violent. Um, and that's important. I'm not saying that that's not true, but I think there but I know that there are quieter conversations happening that are more um, that are more complex and that are more um, realistic for people's lives, you know. And and uh, you know I don't want to go into them on a, on a podcast where we can't have dialogue and all that stuff with with other folks, but but you know I do think it makes me angry that you know some of these white women who are you know trans exclusionary radical whatever the new names are gender critical get to claim a, listen on some hand we have to some some we have to talk about sex right not just gender that's one of the problems right. We do have to, we do have, we do have biology. It's not the end all be all and gender should not be um, wedded and, uh, you know, um, uh, reduced to, uh, you know, hormones, genitalia, secondary sex characteristics. But those things are also part of our embodied experience. And I, there's like a way that that's gotten completely erased. Um, You know, like, what is it like, what does it, you know, do for embodiment that our teeth are sexed? which is crazy to me, you know? Or ears, right? Um, hair. And so these things are complex. That's not the end of the story, but I feel like even saying that people are like, well, that's transphobic. I'm like, no, that's a, that's a reality for bodies. Um, so like, we have to think about sex. I would love to for sex to also be part of, you know, and science also be part of a conversation, not to shut things down, but to open things up, to be a part of a, a spectrum of conversation, you know, and I think that that's, um, that feels very valuable to me. Um, But I know that a lot of uh, 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 gender critical feminists have wielded that as a way of calling people fake, or, um, uh, and really, honestly, this is really um, towards trans women. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of, um, again, these are, these are discussions that are happening in feminist circles, and it often strikes me as odd that Um, on the sort of male and masculine and men's side, these are conversations are not as loud at all. It's really around this category of women, And so that's really odd to me. Um, That it's like, it's really like falling on, uh, uh, women are always, and femmes are always the ones doing this heavy lifting and labor and thinking and um, uh, painful labor around around gender um, and sex and race.
0: Yeah, I, I, um, I feel like we have uh, future podcasts to get into yes. on this, you know, and <laughs> I'm trying to think of, you know, guests that would be great to invite on to help us think through this, you know, um, and, you know. We should have Zakia on. I think we are going to try to get Zakiya on, right? To yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. Zakiya yes. Jackson to talk about yeah. becoming human, matter and yes. mean, in an anti-Black world where she yes. really kind of breaks it down, particularly the point that you were making earlier about how for Black people, our relationship to both gender and sex, you know, and sexuality is completely yes. different, right? And it can't be reduced um, to anything like a universal, right? So while well, I right. totally agree with you about We need to talk about biology. We need to talk about materialism. We need to talk about we need to talk about sex. (laughs) But uh, as a a, a child of the '90s, right? Um, Child of the '90s. (laughs) We need to talk about sex, baby. Um, uh, But that um, at the same time, all that is true. We also need to, um, you know, we need to think about how. One one of my biggest beefs with like the so-called, you know, gender critical is the way in which they are setting uh particularly white euro feminism yes back to you know two three decades by saying by un- a single universal category that's of right. women right that's right um and they are explicitly speaking again in the name of the third world woman right you know who is going to go unprotected because of these you know selfish trans women and you know all these <laughs> kinds of absurd no it's but this is really you know i know it's dangerous uh, <laughs> it's very dangerous I'm, I'm, yeah yeah so you know um this is, you know, um, but this is, uh, you know, I think these are, it's interesting that these are the, um, the, obviously these conversations have been percolating for a long time, but they've sort of come to the surface, um, come into the mainstream in a particular way, um, like never before this summer. And, yes. um, hopefully we'll get to, you know, yeah, we'll get, get to-, to them again in all this. I want to say, you know, uh, one of the things I can, you know, it's it wasn't the most ground earth shattering thing, but there was a Black queer t- town hall. I don't know if you got the chance to see any of it, but it was on on YouTube of all places. I'm not sure. Yes, who. I can yeah. see it. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah. There was like, it, may, it might still be still be there, um, but uh, Angela Davis popped up and yes. uh, I, you know, I watched her, you know, and that was a really interesting moment, you know, because, Angela Davis. Of course, and she was. I say, Angela Davis is an icon. But then also, she was like introduced, or like her, like you know, her name. It's an Angela Davis legend. You know, <laughs> like, that's what. <laughs> 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 um, and I and, and what I loved about it was, you know, she was basically herself. Actually, what I didn't love about it was the very first question they had for her, and they said, "This is the question they ask everybody: was how do you identify?" And to me, this mm-hmm. was a real like policing question. Yeah. Um, that you just do not need to ask Angela Davis, right? You know, like, you <laughs> if you, you need don't. to ask Angela Davis who how she didn't you know, but what I also loved about it is that she just laughed and said, you know, I identify as a communist, black feminist, you know, she <laughs> listed off. I love all these, it. You know, and she included queer, which I have at least not ever heard her, you know, say, you know, in so many words. Right. And so, and then she went on to do do her thing, right? Which is, you know, I've seen her, um, you know, a lot in the last, you know, uh, couple of months uh, on Democracy Now, on various, you know, webinars, and she's, you know, I, I feel like I've gotten to know her her study or wherever it is that she's uh, broadcasting yeah. from you know, <laughs> quite well. Um, but I think it's really important that you know someone like her is able to model how to intervene in their culture over time, right? Because she certainly is someone who, um, it's not that she's a legend and that, um, you know, she uh, is has kind of been consistently involved in the struggle since the 60s, is that um, there are so few people who can, like, appear, you know, in a moment like 2020 and not feel, like, completely... um, I mean, the people who came on the scene five years ago who feel irref- irrelevant now—that's right. Yeah, you know, and it's so true. So, so, the, so there's something deeper there, you know. And like the way she was—I mean, I would just say, go and maybe we should put it in the show in the show notes, right? Like, a link to that when she's kind of asked in the way she can talk about Black trans lives, right, and bring that into her abolitionist discourse is mm. so much is so much more constructive, I think than the way that you see others trying to, you know, who kind of get panicked, right? By this, by this sense that they might be losing, you know, sure. as, you know, losing their whatever, like the, the categories that they're most familiar with. She's she's always understood, I mean I'm just extrapolating here, but I kind of get a sense of, you know, Angela Davis is always like You know, there is nothing in this world that I need to, like, hold on. (laughs) Yeah. It is all about abolishing and transforming, right? Rebuilding, right? And I think that keeps her young, to be honest, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. in a way that you can only admire.
1: That's beautiful. I think it is still up on YouTube. And You know, there's one of the things, as you were talking, I was thinking about, I've been thinking a lot about a moment that I... Missed, even though I was alive, but I was too young, is I've been thinking about the early, uh, the late 70s and early 80s in terms of all the black queer cultural production that was happening. You know, yes. um, Marlon Riggs, we talked about Kambahi, Algie Lord, Barbara Smith, um, all the black Pomo Homo Afros who also made it to the 90s, but all these sort mm. of like this black queer uh maybe we were maybe they were, we were saying gay and lesbian and I don't know whatever yeah. um uh con- homosexual even um
0: con- <laughs> <Uranian>. content.
1: <laughs> con- content that was happening um you know in the art world that mm-hmm. also uh, and also in the academic world and those things crossed over you know um so many uh so many of the you know black um uh, queer folks, queer and trans folks who were also, you know, adjuncts at you know City College or CUNY or you know places in Chicago or California, and thinking about the crossover of the intellectual and the artist, and mm-hmm. how, how we have this rich archive that um, we somewhat uh, know about. You know, Audrey Lord has actually, I think, is is semi is in some of main, some mainstreams, and I think that. This moment, this last year or so, and going forward, I think the archive of art and perform, particularly because everything is online and recorded, I think the archive of mm-hmm. art of music, uh, yes, it's not live, and of course we <laughs> bodies are so important. Bodies matter. Um, uh, I think it's going to be really revolutionary when we seek because you know there's so much that I miss, and every week and every day, um, so so much uh, art conversations um, is, are being produced right now. And I think that that's like really, really fascinating. Um, and I think one of the things that's really interesting about a figure like, one of the things that you're saying about Angela Davis is people were, people didn't know she was queer. They're like, what? I was like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> so that, I was like, how huh? like, y'all know about her, her and Gina? That's, is that old news? You know, people are like, what, Angela Davis? I was like, I think she's frozen in time for a lot of people as well. Yeah. Um, so that they haven't really they don't really know her life for the last 20 years, necessarily. It's just like mm-hmm. her from the 60s, you know, you know, Black Power mixtape kind of era mm-hmm. rather than I mean, as someone who has a tattoo of her from the 60s, you know, with her afro. Mm-hmm. Um, I So I think like people don't necessarily know about her Palestine stuff. They don't necessarily know about um, her abolition work. Um, mm-hmm. But she's like the icon, you know. Um, so uh, I do I'm thinking about the rich um, archive of black, um, um, black queer and trans, uh, work that is, uh, being produced right now. And, and that actually makes me feel really, um, um, really excited.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I also totally agree that I, you know, I mean, I don't want to spend more time that I am already in front of a screen, but like, even Mm -hmm. if I, even if I could, like, I would not be able to catch even like a percentage of all that's going out going on Mm -hmm. out there you know and um I don't know if we're ever going to get time to talk about performative allyship which now sounds depressing (laughs) but on the flip side of that like what I do love actually is well maybe it's kind of connecting right is because you know the critiques of performative allyship right which we can kind of get into right but you know is the you know the sometimes missing the point of what a performative is, right? You know, like, what performative is. Mm, mm. you know, and, and what black, queer, and trans performative... You know, like, if we understood, if everyone, like, today, like, understood what performativity could do, right, they would actually be yes. for, you know... Performative I mean, allyship, before, actually. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. The, like, a, like, an allyship that actually did something, right? You know, yes. as opposed to an allyship that... I think what they mean performative, they mean phony, right? Like, fake. They
1: right? Absolutely. They mean fake. Yeah. They mean fake, yeah.
0: yeah. But... And you
1: know, I, I I think that you you know I think listen we know that language shifts and changes but I wish that performative actually uh, has had taken root the, the the power of performative had taken root so that yeah. people had something to um, uh, I think people have heard the word performative and think it's just like uh, a derivative of performance and so think that they're saying like this person is putting on a show. And I think like, I think that there is, you know, like to be an egghead or whatever, there is some value in thinking about uh, a word or an object or an action that, or a text that does something in the world. So performative Mm. allyship would actually be, what would that look like? Allyship that shifts something rather than phony allyship or fake, Mm. not real allies or, or just, you know, um, again white supremacy centering oneself right? right Look, I read I put together a book I can't even tell you right yeah, book, yeah. I put together a book group on you know white fragility I'm like you you know yeah. um, or I consume some more black pain you know um mm. uh, but I but you know what I think um I you know what I really wish for I really wish for a kind of moment and this is something I'm really focusing on myself where I'm really, I'm really, I'm really asking about my own investments in white folks showing up, and I'm really trying to pivot more toward or orient more toward um, what are black people doing? You know, what, are, yes. what is the what are what are black folks doing that mm-hmm. I want to be a part of that I want to be down with? Rather mm-hmm. than uh, I have you know white friends and acquaintances I know who are doing deep work and it's very quiet. And it's not, you know, on Instagram, or they're not, you know, doing interviews or or making little PSAs about I feel your pain. I don't know if you saw those, all those white Hollywood people who are like, I'm wrong. It <laughs> was really bad. Yeah. Very earnest. Very earnest. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, uh, so I'm really like, what are black people doing? Who are who are black performers and thinkers and artists that I need to know about? What are books that I need to read or comics or? Mm-hmm. TV shows or playwrights or, uh, you know, uh, philosophers, you know, from the past, past present, future, you know. Um, and so I think that's another way of kind of decolonizing my own investment in um, what history has shown me so far is that, uh, you know, white folks are really seduced by whiteness and that, you know, the rest of us also are too. And so I, I guess just in my own small way, I'm trying to um, really shift that worldview, really live in a black world. Um, and let me tell you, it's hard, <laughs> you know, it's not the way that uh, it's like white supremacy has trained me in a certain way. And so um, I'm not really, I'm, I'm really trying to move away from, uh, you know, it's like um, when people do something that's powerful and that's, on the side of justice on the side of healing on the side of um, anti-racism. That's awesome. And otherwise, if they're, they're not doing that, then, you know, so that's what they've been doing is not doing it.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, I, um, I get where you're coming from. And um, I think that um, it's, You know, going back to that moment, or you know, that uh, in the in the late seventies, early nineties—sorry, late seventies, early eighties—that you were talking about, so much of that work was, you know, in a black world um, on the margins of any mm-hmm. kind of white institution, right? Um, and you know, independent publishing independent filmmaking, you know, maybe, maybe a lectureship here or there, you know, like, and I say this with like a profound sense of my own privilege as a tenured professor, right? You know, so um, in many ways, well, maybe in all ways, right? Like my position is possible because of what they did, right? But what's also humbling to think about is like how much more far-seeing and creative they could be, right? Because they like, could give zero fucks, right? <laughs> In many ways, exactly. about, um, about the institution. And that's what I meant earlier about the, you know, just the, the layers of, um, I don't think the podcast should be entirely about like academic kvetching, but like the layers <laughs> of surveillance that are happening right now as we go online. You can probably yes. tell this to me as you talk about getting certified, right? But things that we were able to do, you know. That are you know <laughs> in our classrooms, right, or like with, with right. black students and faculty, right, that are getting harder to do, right, you know, um, and, and especially when they are primarily directed at black, indigenous, POC, right, you know, or black, right, even. Yeah, right? these are hard things to. It's it's like it's like the undercommons out there, right, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's. Um, but it's 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 really you know so valuable to be able to kind of draw on those um, uh, those archives and those and those and those and those legacies, right? You know, yes, uh, from, from from earlier eras.
1: What's on your pandemic playlist?
0: That's a great question. Um, what music is getting me through this moment? Um, I um, have been just, well, I started out by just catching everything I could find on Instagram Live, whether that yeah. was, you know, Malik Gaines uh, performing on Sunday nights, uh, Erica Badu. Uh, reinventing the music industry from her boudoir. (laughs) Um, And uh, then I've been listening to some, you know, kind of current stuff like Run the Jewels. But, um, you know, mostly I um, have been listening to a lot of 40s, 50s, and 60s R&B because I'm trying to uh, Mm. write about Little Richard and that era now. Uh, uh, and so it's 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 getting my, you know, it's 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 obviously the era before I was born or you know, really yeah. sounds so different. Uh, but also is so um it's so uh queer and rebellious mm. and and sort of like black feminist, you know, and um, you know, I'm thinking we're talking about Angela Davis earlier in like one of her books was like blues legacies and black feminism, where she talks about like the origins of this kind of, um, cultural of, culture of resistance in the urban blues back in the twenties. Right. Mm -hmm. And so just kind of tracking that through this, this era that leads up to what we think of as, you know, today as the birth of rock and the birth uh, uh, and soul. Right. Uh, so that's what I'm listening to mostly. How about you?
1: Um, uh I, kind of two two things um one is uh i've been just playing the um black love um playlist on spotify oh, wow. and a lot of it's like 80s so they have like an 80s one a 90s one and a 2000s one so it's very interesting actually to track the different uh sounds of r&b soul uh hip-hop and hip-hop r&b um mm-hmm. and and uh, uh you know like i'm like I really love the, you know, jagged edge era of love songs. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but also I have been um, really reconnecting with my, you know, mom who, who passed in 2013 and we had a really big connection around gospel. So I've been a I've been listening to gospel songs that we loved in common, you know, like the Winans and the Clark sisters um, um, and, uh, you know, different things like that. But then also... Um, sort of reintroducing myself, you know, in Mississippi Mass Choir, uh, reintroducing myself to, or introducing myself to newer gospels that I don't really know and follow. And I've been finding that particularly, um, I've been thinking about like the power of Negro spirituals and Black mus- black spiritual music to really help uh, navigate things like rage and uh, sickness. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's been really helpful um, so I usually listen to the morning before I do my yoga and meditate or sometimes when I'm walking my dog. Um, and so that's, yeah, it's been, I've been thinking about a lot of things. I've been thinking about the um, uh, just musically, the um, a lot of the harmonies. Um, there's a lot of stuff in minor key. There's a lot of really interesting, bizarre key changes. Um, there's a lot of falsetto, um,
0: mm, which yeah. is
1: really interesting. Um, you know, <laughs> it's, it's like... Is,
0: what, one thing I'm learning actually, going back to like this, this listening I'm doing, you know, and from the 40s, 50s, is like how central the gospel sound is, you know, yes, to that era, you know, and to secular music, right? But also to, you know, the how necessary you need to listen to the gospel music of that era and figures like, yes, Rosetta Tharp, right? Um, right. but how queer that gospel sound is, right? With oh, all my those goodness. female basses and male oh, falsettos, you these know, guys
1: <laughs> singing these songs. Is this song, um, oh, it's not, it's not Never Could Have Made It, but which is sort of ends up in all these memes, but it's this other gospel song. And it's so like, it's reminding me so much of like, um, Quicksand where it's like the ero- the queer erotics of men singing about like they're to their lover, Jesus basically, yeah. you know, like you cared for me, you took, you held, and I'm like, it's so queer, you know? And so um, also it's reminding me of these spaces it's remind me of Black queerness too, that looks really different mm-hmm. than mainstream queerness, right? And uh, um, the erotics of the voice and the erotics of um, um, serenade, um, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh, it's different than like, say, for instance, sex, which we all love, or, you know, those right. of us who like sex, you know? And so I, I, I've been really like, um, you know, it's also fascinating to listen to that while thinking about the Black church or the evangelical Black church as a source of, homophobia, right? It's also this site of incredible um, queer people and queer and trans erotics. So, you know, the contradictions are very, I think, um, very interesting to me. And also it's moving. Um, So music that's moving and that actually shifts moods and that actually gets me thinking is uh, that's really where I'm where I'm at um, these days.
0: Well, I have to get a playlist from you on some of that. Yes, I
1: I have one one that I send to people whenever they ask me for gospel music, so I'll send it to
0: you. Um, And then, you know, we're we're close to time here, but um, I wanted to, uh, at the risk of saying those dreaded three words, back to school. uh, (laughs) And by talking about what we're reading... and I know we never got a summer break, really. So maybe it's safe to talk about back to school, since you know, yeah. <laughs> so it was never left. Um, but if you had had a summer break, what would you? What would you have? Uh, what What reading would you have been done?
1: What am I reading? Um, so there are things that I'm reading, although really slowly, because I'm reading stuff that. Um, well, anyway, so uh, as I said, I'm reading um, Rod Owens' book. It was just came out in June. Um, Love and Rage. Um, Liberation Through Anger, I think is the um um the subtitle. And it's you know Lamarat is a queer black southern man who is a llama, a Tibetan who's trained as a mm-hmm. Tibetan Buddhist Lama, and he's um he was also co-author with Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams and Dr. Yasmin Sayadua of um, Radical Dharma. So this book has made a really big splash. Like I think I saw him in WAPA or BBC or something, and so he's you know. Um, he's one of my um, Buddhist teachers. So we do have a personal relationship and the book is really great. And then I'm also reading a book by one of my other teachers, um, Lama Justin Von Bujo's uh, uh, called Modern Tantric Buddhism, which is the title is really dry, but it's really about embodiment, um, how a colonial, how anti-colonial um, Buddhism and um, sort of how like white supremacy and uh, uh, Orientalism have created this like disembodied bliss bullshit, you know, in the West, um, and so it's like really a lot about emergence and um, and um, community. So that's um, been really great. And then um, I'm reading Zakiya's book, slowly uh, becoming human, um, and then N.K. Jemison's The City We Became, which um, I had read the short story in her How Long Till Black Futures Month, and it, it blew me away. So the book is amazing. And then Patricia Hill Collins' um, Intersectionality is Social Theory. And Aisha Shahida Simmons' Love of Accountability. So all these books are have something to do with like rethinking old, decrepit and oppressive kind of soul-crushing systems of, of like sort of thought or punishment or ways of being. And they also, in their own ways, really call for slowing down this the unsustainable pace of like, do, do, go, 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 and produce, be productive, um, or what I'm calling the reactive economy, something, a wound happens or a a harm happens and people have to like swarm to it. And so um, I think like in this time of COVID it's how a racial pandemic, heightened racial pandemic, I've really been trying to um, reorient to um, slower, you know, slower, um, everything, you know, going back to what you've been saying about institutions. And I think one of the things that living in a, a hyper-capitalist society does and uh, being, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super, you know, I'm also super privileged as a tenured academic have a union at my, you know, two unions at my job is, um, is the, the call to constantly reproducing. And, um, and and the kind of move away from deep thinking and, and deep conversation and so these these books are really helping me do that
0: great what about yeah. what about what about you um trying to you know well i was going to say like reading a thick stack of manuscripts for <laughs> promotions. <laughs> oh <laughs> but, wow yeah some of which are even good right uh but um <laughs> that's that's for a future uh discussion but two books that are out that i'm uh quite interested in um one is uh greg tate and liz murzell's uh liz munzel sorry uh editors of uh writing the future basquiat and the hip-hop generation um Mm. this is actually winding its way through the post right now the postal service that uh the Republicans are trying to destroy. Um, <laughs> but um, I'm very excited to read it. Uh, I know something about it. And it's it's one of Great. the first shows that really centers Basquiat's relationships to Ramel Z, the <gasps> hip hop graffiti, artist, sculptor, musician, robot, you know, robot, <laughs> you know, uh avatar of Gothic futurism. Um, yeah so this was a book that was meant to be the catalog for a show up in boston that got postponed by COVID 19 but now i have the book and i'm very excited i'm Um, I'm excited getting getting ready to teach uh, afrofuturism in the fall so that's going to help and um so that's writing the future um the other book called letters to the future which i'm finally taking time to savor i had actually gotten it in 2018 um this is a book uh edited by erica hunt and don lundy martin uh Mm, mm -hmm. it's letters for the future black women radical writing and it's really um the most succinct uh it's an anthology of black women's experimental and conceptual poetry right um and um uh, from the like 70s to the present i mean it's not it's not a it's a it's a it's a poet's anthology as opposed to one edited by, you know, like it's it really, yeah. um, it, it, it's by, for, and about poetry in a way that I think is really, um, important because going back to this idea of slowness, if anything is going to save us, you know, um, yeah. the only thing that seems like saving me, right. From another corporate neoliberal anti-racist training, right. Is <laughs> that, beautiful experiments and precise language of radical poets like this, right? Yeah. Where they really are taking care and time with language. They're not speaking in a single voice, right? But they're just just doing the opposite, right? Right. Of that right. kind of reactive thinking, right, that yep. you're talking about. And so this is an anthology that has some of my all-time favorites, like Harriet Mullen, Latasha Nevada Diggs, my dear colleague Claudia Rankin oh, yes um, and many many more and it opens with Betsy Fagan's decolonized and that is oh, like great. say no say no more right you know say so, no more <laughs> uh, so that's what I'm reading
1: oh great um this is good so everyone you know go get these books I'm particularly really excited for uh, writing the future I'm also teaching um my race gender and science fiction class so that could be a great uh, reading for the end of the class um one of the things I'm Going to have them do for a final project is to make a um, to-go pack, mm-hmm. um, like like uh, you know uh, in well the one I have, but also yeah. uh, but also like uh, you know when you're going to as you're going what what goes in your to-go pack? What kinds of what kinds of things do you need for future survival? Um, so being able to reminding all of us that we can that we are writing the future, you know that it's not it's not predetermined. So I'm, thank you for. Uh, tell me about that. And that's like really relevant to my next book. Um, so what, um, what else is on your, maybe this could be our last uh, kind of uh, uh, plug. What else is on your radar in terms of things that are happening um, with the black fantastic and speculative culture?
0: Um, well, you know, it's keeping up, keeping on the Afro-futurist theme. Um, New York Live Arts uh, w- was going to have a uh, festival on right. Black accelerationism, actually, that got postponed. Um, and so instead they have a virtual exhibit that's up right now at newyorklivearts.org. Oh, it looks fantastic. It's called Curating the End of the World. Um, oh. Organized by Raynald Anderson, Tiffany Barber, and Stacy Robinson. Uh, okay. It's part of their Black speculative Arts Movement. Um, and it is, uh, an international group of artists responding to COVID-19, wow. anti-black violence, climate change, poor governance, transhumanism, oh <laughs> amazing, accelerating technologically driven economic system on the verge of collapse. So I think I might just like start my class with like, yeah, <laughs> like assigning that. You know? <laughs> great.
1: I'm looking at their the homepage right now. This looks amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have to purline for that from you. Um, yeah. Yes. Similarly, I just was reading yesterday, I think, um, um, Lola flash, uh, the mm-hmm. photographer has, right. um, uh, photography exhibit, um, which intersects all things we we're talking about her own past false arrest that led to, um, uh, uh, spiraling debt, losing her teacher's license. She mm-hmm. was exonerated and expunged, but it really financially almost ruined her. And also she's been um, showing up at the current, um, you know, sort of looking at uh, taking photography in the Black Lives Matter and queer and trans protests and ending mass incarceration through this futuristic figure. Um, mm-hmm. um, so um, uh, that's something that's on Artsy and uh, net, And uh, it's really great. I also am going to, um, I think, uh, use it in my class to kind of bring the future and the current, uh, the present together. Uh, start mm-hmm. off my class like that, my, my race, gender, and uh, um science fiction class and maybe my my black, uh, I have a black, black performance theory class as well in the fall. Um, so yeah, these are, uh, please check these things out. These are it's virtual, you know, everything is virtual right now. And um, um, I also want to see, before it closes one last time, I want to go see uh, uh, Simone Lee's Highline um, sculpture. Uh, no, I'm forgetting the name of it. Um, Is it called Brickhouse? Brickhouse, yes, thank you. Is that still up? Uh, Until
0: September. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, and so the High Line is... uh, uh, I don't think that section of the High Line is actually open.
0: But you can see it from the street, actually.
1: You can see it from the street, yeah. So that section of the High Line isn't open. You can't go up the lower, because I think it's on 30th Street. The lower section is open by uh, appointment uh, or by you can get tickets to go. But um, I want to go see, uh, look at Brickhouse... Uh uh one last time. I think it closes in mid-September. So yeah. Um maybe closer to when it gets cooler. We're uh, as New York has now been designated designated a subtropical zone.
0: Oh
1: my <laughs> lord. Yeah. So yeah. Any last parting words, Todd, about uh, our pandemic summer?
0: Well, I think we covered a lot of ground. Uh, and um, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling a little more hopeful <laughs> that at least we have yes. some uh, work to come up uh, for us. And uh, there are lots of things we didn't get a chance to talk about, including a show that we're both watching and obsessing over, uh, Michaela Cole's I Will Destroy yes. You. Um, yes. But we'll talk about that at the next, uh, the next, uh, next podcast, probably, <laughs> I, by which time I, yeah. the show will hopefully be uh, fully aired in the U.S., I think, uh, yes, I agree. I, am I agree with you. I'm
1: feeling hopeful as well. I love having conversations with you and recording this podcast and yeah, maybe we should dedicate, uh, uh, our podcast to, I may destroy you, but also maybe talking about, um, the, the its predecessor, which also, well, I don't want to spoil people, but also talking about maybe chewing gum, uh, black earth rising. Uh, the only thing of hers I haven't seen is, uh, I haven't seen the musical, so maybe I should. Uh, I should. I should watch that. But uh, maybe we, our next podcast will be about Michaela Cole's uh, extraordinary mind and uh, work and talent.
0: That sounds great to me.
1: Again, check us out on Fantastic Blackness uh, on Instagram and find us on wherever
0: podcasts are streaming. Wherever you're better podcast, podcasts are distributed. Okay.
1: <laughs> great chatting. <laughs> great chatting. Bye. Bye. Fantastic Blackness is written by Shantae Paradigm Smalls and Tavia Nyong'o with music and production by Alex Van Gils we